0: I um, have until until 2.30. The other search that you guys share the space with comes at 2.30. Don't worry, I normally only reach an hour and a half. Uh, so I'll cut it down <laughs> as much as I can. No, but Andy and I, how proven that my, my wife and, and, and Jim became friends, honestly, is through our kids at school. I'm sure some of you had that happen in your life. When your kids go to school, they find friends, and they make their parents be friends. So that's kind of what happened to us. Is that, that uh, my daughter went to Highlands Grove Elementary and his daughter Mia was one of the Highland Grove Elementary and they became really good friends and they, they started hanging out and then Jim started hanging out and then Andy and I were forced into the friendship <laughs> we have. So, <laughs> I kind of see my responsibility in this friendship to keep him in line um, so that you all have a really great pastor. <laughs> 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 But for real, the reason why I, I think the reason why I'm here, uh, first of all, the, the, the real reason I'm here is because you all have been generous. You yeah. all have been very generous, and you probably don't even know it.
1: You yeah. have no
0: idea that a year ago, a group of people that I was leading in a different church, um, when the service was canceled, they came to me and they said, "Coy, we don't want to stop having a Saturday night service." And I said to them, "Good luck." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not like in a position to be starting a church, and people just kept coming to me and they said, "Coy." we want to keep a Saturday night church somewhere in Lakeland. And I said, "Well, here's what you can do. I said, you can send me your email and say to me on Monday, because that was on Saturday, send me email me on Monday and tell me if you want a church. And if enough of you do that, then we'll try. And about 60 emails later, we decided, well, maybe we'll try this. And so at that time, we had three weeks, three weeks to decide where we would meet. I don't know if you ever launched a church, but normally it takes six months to a year to launch a church. And so when scrambling around town, uh, trying to find out who could help us, allow us to eat in their space. There were a lot of notes, and there were a lot of churches that we went to, and they said, "Ah, we're not interested. And when, when Andy spoke to me about it, and then we talked about it, it was the even question. He said, no doubt, our church would probably love to have you, and he brought it to your elders, what you call them, your elders, and you all were like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But for real, when we first when we first got into this agreement with all of you, we were like, we'll probably be here three or four months. And but if not, can we just leave the contract open ended just in case we need to stay longer? And so three or four months came and we we're like, ah, we might be a little bit longer. And we said through uh, Easter, we promised we'll be out by Easter. And then Easter came and we came back to Andy and ah, like it might be a little bit longer. Uh and so here we are a year later, a year later. And so uh, the second reason why I want to be Felt homeless, uh, found a home, and it, it means a lot. So thank you to all of you, really, like, from our church to yours, thank you. Uh, someone asked, is it a Hispanic church? And so let me explain the name before I get into my message. Uh, my wife and I have been doing ministry for, what year is this? Uh, we've been doing ministry for 16 years. We graduated from uh, a Christian university, studied ministry there, started right away. My wife has been in youth ministry for all of those years. Most recently, her her position takes her around the world. She's setting up projects for clean water in places that they don't have access to it. And so what she tries to do is to mobilize teenagers to understand there's this need and then to support doing it. And so she's traveled um, all over the world. And so when we decided last year together, we're going to launch this church, she was traveling in Puerto Rico. And I I, I talked to her and I said, we're going to think we should do this. And so she was like, why are you telling me now when I'm not at home to be able to cry with you because I'm not sure that we can handle this. And So she's crying with me on the phone. A couple of days later, she calls me back. and She's like, well, I think I have a name for the church. She said, since I've been in Puerto Rico, I keep hearing the word somos. She hears it over and over and over. If you know what that word is in Spanish, it means we are. And I'm like, you know, well, people might get confused if we call ourselves a." A church name that's from Spanish, but she said, Oh, it makes so much sense. It's like, we are church of the people. And we believe that about us. We live that about you. We believe that about every church in town. We all are church, right? Not the building, not anything else, not the denomination, not, not, not the color of the people that walk into your room or the language that they speak. We all are church here in America and every country around the world. So that's how we up with our name. That's, that's it. That's who we are. We hope. So, as we grow as a church, that we reflect the rest of the world. We, we hope that we reflect people who speak Spanish. We hope we reflect people who live in the West. We hope we reflect every economic status. So that's kind of the story behind All right, so here we go into the message. Now, there's a question that most teenagers get asked often, especially when they get closer to the age when they're about to graduate. It's a question that's really difficult for teenagers to answer. I did not like the question when I was a teenager, and I'm assuming that most teenagers in this room, if there are any, i think I see a few of you, I think. Uh, The question that you don't like to get asked, but everybody asks you when you get close to being a senior, is, so what are you going to do next? Right? (laughs) What are you going to do? And if you've ever asked that question to a teenager, you'll realize that the majority of the answers that you get are exactly the same. Does anybody have an idea about this? I don't know right so all the adults in the room are shaking their head going yeah I've heard that before and if you're a parent and you've heard that from your own child you're like child you've got to figure this out because I'm not about to send you to college if you don't know what you're going to do right that's how you feel you're like you've got to figure this out now I'm going I'm I'm to back up the teachers for a moment I'm going to be on your side for a moment because I don't think it's a fair question for this reason your parents have not prepared most of you to know what you want to do when you become a graduate of high school. Because what we do as parents is we allow you to have all the fun you want when you're in high school. We don't make you get a job or a position where you get to try something out that you think you might want to do. We get you I to graduated. all put it in of high school. We say, now no, figure it out. And they have no idea. It's not like back in the day, like, couple hundred years ago when you grew up and your dad was a carpenter and you had to learn how to be a carpenter, right? Now we just let you watch YouTube and internet and be on your phone and then you become 18 years old and you're an adult now. You need to know what you're going to do. It's not fair to to It's not fair. It's not a fair question. Now, the church that I grew up in, let me say this first, that's kind of the questions that that, the parents ask their kids when 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 they're not church people because something else happens when you're in church, at least the church that I grew up in. The church that I grew up in would not just ask you, boy, what are you going to do when you graduate high school? They would ask this question, what is your calling? I don't know, I'm 18 years old, what is my calling? You tell me what my calling is. Now, I like the concept of this thing called a calling, it's not really in the Bible, but as we've grown as a church over the history of our world, we came up with this word, calling, that God has called you to do something. Now, I'm not sure that is fair either, because what we have done with this term is we've taken the idea of, now, what are you going to do when you graduate, and we put the stamp of God on it? Right. Meaning, okay, you don't just get to decide what you're going to do, but if you're called, there's only one thing that's right. And son, or daughter, if you don't get that right, you screwed up, Right? So, as I've thought about this over my life, i realized something about the column. I do believe the calling. Be. I do believe God calls us. But I believe God calls us all the same thing. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. I gave this message to my church last night. I believe any message that I've preached in my church should be a message that could be preached in any church unless it's very specific to an issue we're dealing with. So as we as you all hear this message, it will challenge you. I'm just kind of gonna warn you for a moment. This message will challenge. But I believe the church needs to be challenged, so I hope you receive it that way. I got a phone call from my dad uh, Father's Day this year. Uh, actually, I don't know if I called him or he called me, but we were talking on the phone at Father's Day this year. And whenever my dad says something, I know he comes to tell me something important. Like he said, it "It's either going to be good or it's going to be bad." My dad says to me, "Boy, I have something." I need something. Right? That's one of those like. sister. (laughs) What is happening? So my dad said, I need to tell you something. And then he got a little serious. He said, boy, I'm going to tell you something. I'm like, why, dad? He said, because I wasn't there for you. kids." I know what that means. He knows I know what that means, but I've never told you You know, growing up, my dad was someone. Where the idea of what you're going to do when you graduate, it wasn't a question. You're going to work. In. I grew up in a really small town in southeast Ohio, Appalachia, Ohio, where there aren't a lot of jobs.
1: And we live about an hour from
0: any major city. And so when you grow up, you get married about 18 years old, and if you know there's something wrong with you. And now that you're married, you have to go find a job. And in my hometown, you find whatever job you can get because it's not okay to move away from all that. Everybody sticks together. Like all the generations of my family, they all still live in my hometown. I don't even know how far back we go before we get to Europe, right? So, all my family grew up in the same town. So when my dad graduated high school, there was no such thing as what are you going to do, but like, you're going to work. And there was no idea or concept of we a calling. My dad went to work. Now in my hometown, he worked a couple different jobs, and there's not a lot of good paying jobs, so my dad ended up becoming a school driver, Which is not a glorious job, I don't know if a school bus drivers in the room right now. It is not a great job. It does not pay you a lot of money. But my dad decided, you know what, I, I have to take care of my family. So I will do what it takes to take care of my family. So he would wake up early and he would pick up those kids. One high school in the entire county. So that means when you're a school bus driver in that kind of school, you drive a long way to pick up kids. You get up really early. So he'd get up early every morning and then he would do another job in the middle of the day and he'd pick up kids in the afternoon and he would come home and he would do another job in the evening. All the time, he says, Boy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, dad, I know you but I respect what you My dad didn't fulfill the call. My dad didn't go to college. My dad did what he had to do.
1: So as I think about some of the stories
0: with my dad in the school bus driving, you know, it's not something I'm super proud of. I don't want to tell people, like, my dad was a school bus driver and that's how i got to where i am today <laughs> i'm not really disappointed in it but that's not a point of conversation but there are stories about my dad being a bus driver that just make me love him so much uh when so we were silly and i'll a couple of them now like one of my favorite stories is that my dad would talk about this one kid that he had on his bus and this one kid that he had on his bus just could not control his bowels. <laughs> and so they would just keep putting this kid on my dad's bus and he would just, just sneak up the whole bus. Because my dad's such a good guy and he's not gonna embarrass someone, he's not gonna try to make someone look silly. The kid would be sitting right behind my dad, and my dad would smell it, and he'd be like, Oh, I'm not again today. So what my dad would do is just send him back to the bus. And he would deal it that way. Love that kid that. take care of as much as There was another story that my dad told about a time when um, there was this kid that was causing me problems, like trying to bully my dad. And none of you have seen my dad, but my dad looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like, this is legit. I don't know if you've seen my dad, but my dad has gone to Disney World, and they've given him free stuff because they think he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. There was yeah, one yeah, time, he walked up to the counter, and he ordered popcorn, and the girl said, it's on us. And he's like, uh, why is it on us?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is the truth. They think my dad is still going to see the opposite. So you should not mess with my dad. He's not someone you should mess with. This teenage boy thought he could mess with my dad. And so my dad was driving the school bus one day. If you've been on a school bus most of you have, you realize there's that that huge mirror that's in the front, right? So the bus driver can tell, what's going on behind him. And my dad's looking in the mirror, and all of a sudden this kid's walking toward him looking very upset, like he's going to hurt my dad. So my dad's watching in the mirror, and he's kind of putting this plan together in his head. And as the kid gets close, my dad stops the bus, and he turns around, and he looks at the kid, he's like, what's going on? And this kid like kind of goes up to my dad, like, I'm gonna beat you up. And my dad says, son, you do not want to do this, promise. I promise you don't want to do this. Just calm down right now, or it won't be pretty. Well, I grew up in a small town, and since I'm not on video, and nobody can report my dad. <laughs> um, my dad tried to talk the kid down, and so since we're back in the day doing this, my dad, like took that kid and said please calm down he wouldn't calm down so he kind of pushed him up the edge of the bus and said you will not do this get off my bus that kid walked like six miles home no joke no joke (laughs) so he needed an enforcer in his church (laughs) (laughs) the most the most most precious stories of my dad driving the school bus though is this my dad said it was his goal as a school bus driver to learn every single kid's name got on his bus and he did this faithfully. When the kid got on his bus, this is what he said: Good morning, John. Bless you. When they got off the bus, my right dad My dad was telling me another story this week. I called him up and we were talking about stuff, and
1: he said another young guy
0: has been working with him. He's not a school bus driver anymore. Now he works maintenance at the school. He gets to work outside. Kind of a dream job. He gets to cut the lawn, dribble the hedges, and he loves to be outside. And so this kid got assigned to work with him as an kind of like assistant, and the kid's 22 years old and has been divorced twice, mm-hmm. getting married. So this kid was working with my dad, and he says to my dad, he says, why do you always wish so happy? And my dad says to him in the moment, he says, you know what? It's a choice that I make. I can wake up every day, and I can be upset. I can wake up every day, and I can be angry. But I wake up every day, and I choose to be happy. So the kid didn't say a whole lot. He walked away, and a few days later, he got transferred to another part of the Of the maintenance crew, and so my dad was telling the story, and my dad said, "But you know what? This is what I wish I would have said." He said, "What I wish I would have said to him, and I'll say it to him." Every single one of you in this room, that's your call. It's not your job. It's not being a husband. It's not being a wife. It's not being a son or a daughter. It's not coming to this church. You're calling is to tell others about the love of Jesus. That's your calling. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what job you choose. Sorry parents for telling your kids that. It doesn't matter what job you choose because whatever job you do, your calling isn't the job, it's what you do when you're at the job. Because every time you do a job, you have the opportunity to influence people whose life is a wreck, whose life is falling apart, who has no idea about the love of Jesus Christ That's your calling as a follower of Jesus, not anything else. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because what I believe is, I believe that most Christians, I believe every Christian wants to fulfill this call. I do. I believe that every Christian wants to accomplish the purpose for which they were created, which is to tell others about Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. The problem is. underestimated by fellow believers, by the people sitting in this room, and you are ridiculed by unbelievers. And so what you end up doing is, in, 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 in fearing rejection, you limit yourself to what you're doing, and in limiting yourself, it leaves you feeling insignificant and unfulfilled, asking the question over and over and over, why in the world am I here? You've asked that question, I've had before, like, why am I here? What's the purpose of my existence? doesn't seem like my life is very important. Why am I here? Which is also a question I believe that students ask when they're at PE class. Why am I here? Right students? Yeah. Why am I here? Especially when students are playing dodgeball. I believe the majority of students at school when it comes time for dodgeball they ask the question why am I here? Because I am convinced that an angry person created the game of dodgeball. I'm an angry person. Right? Who else would invent a game like dodgeball if you weren't angry? Think about it. Every time you play dodgeball, the person who's about to throw the ball at you has the most angry look on their face. It's not happening. It's, (laughs) I'm going to kill you. Right? That's what happens. But when you think about dodgeball and you go back to the times when you played those adult rooms and then the teenagers who get stuck in that PE class where you have to play dodgeball, there are people in the game of dodgeball, the majority of people in the game of dodgeball, who are underestimated by their teammates and ridiculed by their opponents. I hated dodgeball growing up because of this reason. And dodgeball, I was someone who was, was pretty athletic. I played sports. You're one of the captains, and you choose someone else. You're one of the captains, and now you choose the team. How do I choose the team? I have friends who aren't any good. I have to choose to win, or I have to choose my friends. And as someone who's competitive, I want to win, but I also want to lose my friends. And so I would end up choosing some of my friends who aren't any good, and this is what would happen to my friends friends would stand behind me as I'm playing, and they would shadow me, and wherever I went, they would follow behind me. And the balls would be going by us, by them, because they're standing behind me. And they would pick up the balls, and they'd like hand them around to me, watching which they could hit. I'd be the one like throwing balls, right? Crazy, because I hated this feeling. I hated that feeling. But now that I'm an adult, I'm thinking, I had some smart kids in my (laughs) team, Like like geniuses. Why didn't I go to them and be like, I don't think the strategy is a little bit better than you just kinda of following behind me? Maybe we can think of something together. But you know what, those same people that were behind me, they were the ones that the other team made fun you Remember that? Underestimated by me. Ridiculed by others. So I think about that now. I wonder what would happen if we left the dogs while cool classroom of those same people who weren't good at dodgeball, and we got books off the shelf and we all sat down together, and we read books, and we took quizzes. quiz. I wonder who would look to them. Probably me. Probably my Dodgeball friends are good man. really good at me. Really I'm convinced that people ask why. Well, throughout the Bible, you will read about people who want to carry out their calling. And in the, in the book of Acts chapter six and seven, one such person's name is Stephen. And the first time Stephen is mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Acts, which is a short period of time, the first time he is mentioned, what they tell you about Stephen is that he's assigned a special role in the church. He's assigned to take care of the widows. Some of you know this story probably. He's assigned to take care of the widows so that the apostles can focus on preaching the message of Jesus. find that story in the book of Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. I'm not going to read it to you today. I'll let you go to that that yourself. But if you think about the story, it's an honor for anybody to be chosen by the apostles for any service in the church. If you're like Andy, your pastor here, and his elder team coming to you and saying, you know what? We have a special role for you. Like We want you to go to the nursing home and take care of our elderly any other And you'd be like, all right, let me pray about that one. Come back to me and you'd be like, I really want to do this. Well, it's an honor to you asked me. It's an honor that Stephen has been asked to do anything for the apostles, but Stephen senses a deeper calling for his life. He wants to advocate for and convince other people to follow the message of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do, and that's what he ends up doing. But the problem is, as soon as he starts doing that, immediately, he faces serious threats. The threats that he faces are this group of people from a local synagogue, a local church, who do not want him to be able to continue doing what he is doing because they are jealous of him. So they do everything they can to remove his influence and shut him down. Now, we live in the 21st century, where we have Facebook, right? No Facebook anymore. And Facebook is like obsolete for everybody under the age of 18. Like they don't do that. So if you have a Facebook industry right now, you're already aged. <laughs> like, you're not date, right? But I want to explain to you what the situation would be like in the Facebook world. If we had these synagogue leaders, and then we have this guy named Stephen, what would happen is we have this synagogue who had this enormous Facebook account.
1: Like it's enormous. They have
0: thousands of followers. They have as many followers as you can get. Like my wife, like she has so many followers on Facebook. She got to the point where she's not allowed to have any more followers. They told her to get more followers, you have to cancel some followers. So like Dodgeball, well, she can't decide who to cut. So she just keeps it at the number that it's at. But you have to imagine this synagogue has this enormous influence on Facebook. And now all of a sudden, this, this nobody starts a Facebook account. What ends up happening is some of their followers start liking some of his posts. They don't just like it, they look like the happy face. <laughs> now that we have that option, they press the heart. And this group over here, this synagogue is watching this young Stephen, who is nobody, all of a sudden post these things that they don't agree with, they don't like it, and their people start to like it. I don't like that, one. that one. I don't like that, one. and they're getting jealous, and now some of their people are leaving their Facebook account and shutting it down, and they're coming to his Facebook account, and they can't stand it. Now what we do today, when that happens to us, we just block you. <laughs> we go to our settings, we take that setting and we block you. We're like, you know what, don't will see your post. Anymore. Right? That's what we do. We block your post. So we can't see it. But here's the reality is, even though you block someone's post, they're still posting. So even though you can't see it, your people in this synagogue are still liking their posts. So what happens in this situation, in this story is, They like what they have to believe. They don't like what he's doing. They don't like the influence he's creating. So they don't just want to block him. They want to eliminate his Facebook Facebook account. So what they would do is they would call Mark Zuckerberg and be like, (laughs) Mark. They're not telling the truth. They're lying on Facebook. We need to shut them down right now. They want to shut him down because he's telling." Stephen's response changes the landscape of Christianity forever, this is what we have to understand, it changes it forever, which is what gives us an example to follow today. The example that we have to follow today is this. This is what the Bible wants right now for people who want to take notes. You could start your calling in the church, but you will always complete it beyond the church. You could start here. So Stephen is doing really well at first. Like things are going really well for him. His main gig taking care of the widows is going well, and in his free time, he is finding ways to to reach out to others in the community. In Acts chapter six, verse eight, it actually says that he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. So things are going great until until this group from the local synagogue acts out of jealousy. Here's what they do. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Acts chapter six with me, starting with verse nine, because it tells us what happens in this story as Stephen is starting to influence people. In verse nine, it says, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freed men, which is quite the ironic yeah. name, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, We have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God.
1: They stirred up the
0: people as well as the elders and the scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses had handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This small group of people They instigate a false accusation that puts Stephen in on a trial before the council. And they have to understand that the council, they are the big dogs. They are the religious heavyweights. Maybe like your elders, they're the ones who can destroy his reputation and his life. Like these are big, important, powerful people. And now he's on trial in front of them for reasons that aren't even true. But that doesn't matter. Stephen is someone who is confident in his calling, so this is is his reply. Stephen's reply is to preach the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts, which he completes, which he concludes by fearlessly calling all of these people out. He calls them out. If you go back to the book of Acts with me in Acts chapter 7, in verse 51, this is what he says to them. Now, you have to understand with me, like, don't forget that he has done nothing wrong he has been falsely accused. He's now on trial. He's preached a message to them, and this is what he says to them, even though his life is in danger. He says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? By this point, they killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. If his opponents were mad, now they're enraged. Grinding their teeth at them is what it says. But Stephen doesn't. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55-56, he actually calls their attention to heaven because he still believes there's a chance that he can convince them of the truth of Jesus. He still believes this, but they refuse to hear it. What they end up doing instead is they rush him like an angry mob, they drag him out of the city, and they stone him to death. As the stones are hitting him, he still does not the name of his Lord Jesus. If you know the scriptures very well, he also uses the same words that Jesus uses on the cross when Jesus cries out to his Father God saying, receive my spirit. And then he acts in a way that reflects the mercy of Jesus using his final breath to ask God. And Jesus did the same thing on the cross with the criminals when he says, please do not hold us against them. So I'm not sure if you understand if you're following But what's happening is, but this story, this little story in the entire book of the Bible is about one person who's never mentioned before and who's never mentioned after. This person who's insignificant, this person who means nothing to anybody, this person who I would say was probably underestimated by his fellow believers. I mean, they gave him a role to care for widows, which is important, but this dude can preach. Like he can go out into the community and do something important they kind of underestimate him and he's definitely definitely ridiculed by his opponents right this guy this insignificant person comes onto the scene and he takes the message of jesus that has been isolated in jerusalem and he's the one who catalyzes this message to spread throughout the region because this is what happens After he dies, Stephen's story ignited a persecution in Jerusalem against followers of Jesus, causing many followers of Jesus to scatter for safety throughout the countryside. Which sounds really bad, right? It'd be like people coming into this church and just threatening you. And coming into this town and telling you if you're believers of Jesus in this town, we will come and find you and we will kill you. So people just scatter. sounds really bad because it is, but it also leads to good. Because what it does is it plants spirit-filled people in places where the message of Jesus has never been reached before. And it spreads capillaries of new believers throughout the rest of the world. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So what intrigues me the most about this story and the growth of Christianity that Christianity that emerges from it is this: it starts with a guy named Stephen. Stephen was given a role in the church, but fulfills his calling beyond the church. The stimulus for his calling was a need. To reach humble believers, So from Stephen's story, what we have to learn, I think, or I believe, is the example of this, and I think Andy will love me be saying this to all of you. I believe the example that Stephen gives us is we want to be a church in the United States that isn't declining, but is growing. Not a church that is falling apart, but the church is rising up with God's power. If we want to be that kind of people in the U.S. ever again in our history, I believe this is the example that Stephen gives us. That all of us who say we're followers of Jesus, should fill a role in the church and fulfill our calling in the world. So all of you who are part of this church, you should be filling a role in this church. But you should be fulfilling your calling. And the am guessing, probably needs some of you to step up and serve the kids' ministry. And of the people in our church, they don't like it when we come in and say, hey, we need to the kids' ministry. You know what the answer always I'm not really a kid person. (laughs) I I, I say to them, we're not asking for a kid person. We're asking for someone who loves Jesus Christ. So if you have that, it doesn't matter if you're a kid person. I'm imagining that Andy has other things that you could do for this church. There's probably things, ministries, ways you can fall. And you might show up to this church and you sit in your seats and you feel like that's what I need to do. Like I'm a Christian now because I come and I sit in the seats, but that will not push us forward. If you look at Stephen's life, what we have to do is we have to fill a role in the church and fulfill our calling in the world. Of course, as a pastor, you would expect me to say that, wouldn't you? You would expect me to tell you that you should fill a role in the church because that's what we do as pastors. And I'll be honest and say, yes, I think you should. But as a church, this is what's really important. As a church, we cannot stop You're serving in the world. If you limit what you do for Jesus Christ to the church, then you limit how God can use you in the world. Because this is what I believe. I hope that all of you believe the same. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called, equipped, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the message of Jesus in our world. If you would be a church that would stretch the limits of your calling to include the world, Our God would use your life to grow the church. God will plant you in places, in relationship with people, and in proximity to problems where the message of Jesus needs to be heard, and the people are ready to believe. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. That's true for me. That's true for Andy. That's true for Rick. That's true for your kids' ministry people. That's true for your tech team. That's true for People who stand on the stage and play the guitar. What Andy does every Sunday morning is not his calling, just so you all know. When he preaches, that's not his calling, that's his job. That's Andy's job, and the same is true for you. When you go to work, that's your job, not your calling. When Rick sings, that's his job, that's not his calling. Our calling is to start here, serving the church in a role, but our real calling is to go out into the world and find the people who are hopeless lost, can't find a solution, have no idea what to do next, and tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. That is our calling. You can do that as a bus driver. You can do that as a hairdresser. You can do that as a teacher. You can do that as a construction worker. You can do that as somebody who mows somebody's lawn. You can do that as someone who delivers someone's mail. There are no jobs where you cannot do that, and that is your calling. So what we believe at our church is that when someone walks into our church and they are not a believer, We don't look at them and think to ourselves, oh no, there's another sinner. (laughs) I can tell by the boots that they're wearing. (laughs) (laughs) Color in their hair. What we like to think is how lucky are we? But we don't have to go out and find this person. They're already here. Because God same value contention in them like as the one So when they walk into this room, we aren't thinking, "Man, this is another situation that we have to deal with." When they walk into our church, what we're thinking is, we get someone. Ago before we had cell phones and the internet and so there was one time when he was deep in the heart of africa and his missionary society that he was a part of wrote a letter to him and this is what they said to him they said david have you found any good roads that lead to where you are if so we would like to know that we can send more missionaries to join you This was his response. If you have missionaries who will only come if there is a good road, I don't want them. So he wrote back. He says, I want missionaries. Surely, you figure out and follow. It's just talk. God's kind of people in your life, your job, friends that you have, people like your <coughs> God who you. It's a faith in God equips you to fulfill your calling and maybe be with Jesus Christ. So, my hope for all of you is that you will join with us as a church. It's not be a church that closes. Oh my god. want to exist and maintain. I'm assuming if they're here on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to sing and to hear a word, they are people who want to fulfill their calling, their calling to influence more people in this world, to understand their love, to receive it, and to be influenced by it and to follow it. So God, I pray that this group of people from this one message would be inflamed with this desire to fill a role in this church, to do something that allows this church to be better than it is today, so that tomorrow they're a better church, and the next day they're a better church, and the next day they're a better church. God, don't let them stop there. Allow them to be the kind of people who, when they leave this place, after they fill their role here, are the kind of people who fulfill their calling in the world. God, keep calling us to do those things, and God, when there are brave souls like Stephen, it doesn't take an entire church to do it because Stephen showed us. It may not be Andy or Rick or any of the leaders. There may be someone sitting in the room right now who, if they would pursue the calling with the passion that they truly have, they might unite an enormous amount of people who come and fall at their feet and call the Lord. So, God, I pray that would be true for the Lake of Vineyard as well as SOMOS.